Hello and welcome to Connected, a podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hello, Sue Uniman here, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us in the room is Brian Leverley. How are you doing, Brian? Hey, great. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Brian is MD for AccuWeather Europe, but previously was also a New York Times reporter, a McKinsey consultant and a Twitter marketer. Some, some, quite some portfolio of careers. Yeah. And all true, so all true. No <laughs> fake news in there. Yeah. Uh, so, but you also studied English in Yale. So how, what's the career journey from English in Yale to AccuWeb? Yeah, I think, so I've been thinking a lot about the, I have kids now who are growing up and about to start secondary school in a year or two. So I've been thinking about the university system. For me, I, I love the American well-rounded liberal arts approach where you get to go and study everything. So I did. I read English at Yale. I wrote my senior thesis on Ulysses and then came to Dublin. And actually, the thesis was about the role of the popular media on the culture of the time. And so I came to Dublin and became a newspaper reporter, which was not entirely uh, intentional, but that's how it worked out. Um, but I studied everything. like, And that was, uh, that was one of the joys of the American system that you can do astronomy, psychology, calculus, history and economics and everything and really get an understanding of how the world works and then bring a deeper understanding to whatever your area of focus is. You see how... System, yeah. yeah, where you where people are a little more, you know, blocked in. Yeah, and the but special and but that specialization comes relatively early, yes, yeah. um, before you know, as people are still exploring. Um, so I did a lot of exploring, uh, and then um, when I came out of university, I moved to Dublin. Uh, I was very lucky in that I had edited a, a college paper, uh, and was good friends with. Um, a woman who passed away last year, actually, a wonderful um, professor at the university uh, who had written for the New York Times. And she said, oh, if you're going to Dublin, you got to look up my old friend, uh, a, a legendary reporter by the name of Jim Clarity. And Jim Clarity, I got in touch with him and did a bit of work for him. I did other uh, reporting in Dublin. I worked in a pub and all the rest. Jim eventually said, I'm I'm done. I'm retiring. If you want me to put you in touch, I will put you in touch with the powers that be and you see what you can do. And I was like 23 at the time and said, please. Uh, and so I ended up reporting for the New York Times for about six or seven years. Um, after that, career, I did a career change. After I had my, my front page story, which was about the end of the IRA campaign in the North, uh, and went, to, um, went back to business school back in the States and then went on kind of a career change into consulting telecoms tech and onto AccuWeather uh, about two years ago. Wow. So, so interesting. So weather. Um, <laughs> we, we've already been talking about the weather because we are now sitting with um, unseasonably spring-like weather whereas probably was it this time last week or two weeks ago we were sitting in snow. Yeah. Right, which is you know one of the great <laughs> glories of, of the British weather and um, always stuff to talk about. But in terms of commercially do you think that we still generally underestimate the, the impact of weather on media consumption and, and how we should convert that into media strategies? Uh, well, that's a, that's a wonderfully leading question. <laughs> I am very glad you've asked that. Uh, I, in terms of media consumption, I'm not sure. Um, I think we are, people know that we talk about the weather all the time, and especially in Northern Europe, in Britain, in Ireland, and all across uh, any Northern Hemisphere countries where sometimes it's grey, sometimes it's sunny, sometimes, you know, the, where the weather changes quite dramatically, uh, people do care about it a lot. Um, there's a wonderful think with, a statistic from Think with Google um, that says that actually searches for what's the weather today 
and this is from June 17, so the statistic even is a, is a, is a year uh, and a half out of date, but um, said in the previous three years, the number of searches for what's the weather today had almost tripled. It had gone up like 150 or 160% over that three-year period, which means that people are thinking about the weather and talking about it and trying to plan their lives around it much much more than they did in the past i think that do you think that i think that's because it's more reliable actually now than it used to be yes because you used to get a weather forecast and you might as well ignore it whereas actually you've got a chance now with very accurate forecasting well there's that on the one hand it's more accurate on the other hand it's also more accessible and we have it in our pocket all the time and there's even a little widget you know on the home screen and you can get your notification saying oh it's going to rain uh yeah, my, you know. hu- my husband quite often says to me when I'm, I'm, I'm sort of working out what to what coat to wear one of my many coats to yeah. wear um, and i'll be standing in the hall looking at my phone and he'll go could you not just open the door <laughs> <laughs> well that might but hey this isn't this is britain you know i mean so that might tell you now but this afternoon um but I think that the other aspect of that that's relevant for me is that people are used, people are have grown accustomed to having more control yeah. over their lives, minute by minute. You know, people want to know exactly. You know, even if you think about weekends and what people are going to watch on Netflix and things like that, people like to plan out with uh, with much more rigor and detail um, how they're going to spend their time. And the weather is a major impact on that. So that I think that is another thing that's driving. Um, uh, some of that that interest in the way people are talking about it, which is uh, maybe unfortunate. There may be a little bit less spontaneity yeah. in our culture than there have been in the yeah, past as well. Yeah, I'm wondering about that. I'm less kind of just putting your putting yourself out there and seeing what the day will bring. But um, that's where we are. So in terms of media planning and media consumption, uh, there is a ton of potential out there in terms of thinking about how. Uh, looking and uh, looking at the data on how weather impacts consumer behavior, mm-hmm. consumer mindsets, and the psychology of individuals and of the country at large, and thinking then how do you tweak your message? How do you deliver uh, your your um, uh, your campaigns at the right time in the right format, um, and all of that sort of thing? So that's something that that is a big focus for us, and that we deliver with our clients, of course. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. So. Your job as MD Factory Weather Europe, how difficult has it been to commercialise weather media in a country that we really don't traditionally commercialise weather media? You get it from the BBC. Yep, and, and from the Met Office, um, which is a like a legendary, yeah. amazing institution, but which is commercial now, right? I mean, that if, when you go on the Met Office website and on their apps, um, just like us, they have... Um, uh, you know they have ads all over the place and they yeah. sell their services and they don't work with the BBC anymore even the BBC weather now comes from one of our competitors a commercial organization called the Medio Group which is yeah. based out of um, out of the Netherlands but um, how difficult is it to commercialize weather it, it's for us that has always been what we do we were the first commercial AccuWeather's founded in 1962 you know when John F. Kennedy was president like during the era of like the Cuban Missile Crisis and black and white TVs and we were the first commercial weather company in the world um, when all weather everywhere was pretty much run by the Met Office's National Weather Services in each country Uh, so we stepped in to try to help businesses understand how the weather would um, was impacting their operations how they could plan better be more efficient and protect their profitability um, 
so that the commercial mindset for us is obviously quite innate uh, and bringing it here I, I think that in the media industry especially people are very in tune to it it hasn't been uh, uh, once you start explaining the impact people's eyes light up and you're pushing an open door yeah. so yeah do you, do you think though because um, because you're you're my weather up so you're you're on my phone i'm glad to um, hear that yeah so i'm looking at it uh, daily and some of the ads are a bit annoying do you do you have a do you have a view about there's a lot of talk at the moment about um you sent an article around that i've just read from the washington not the washington post the washington magazine or yeah. something about um digital pollution and they talked about the fact that mm. that, that there's an awful lot of detritus of commerciality out there mm. do you worry about that is that something that you i, I think the user we have to protect the user experience if we want people to continue as loyal so audience the, members for us BBC, right? uh, yes yeah but also for any and this is true for any publisher um like us uh if you are interfering too much with what people um are coming to your site or to your app for and you're making it difficult for them to get the, the information that they want or you're interfering just with even the you know you're providing something uh, creatives that aren't complementary to what they're there for yeah you'll lose them so no that is um if the ads are annoying send me some screenshots let me know we'll see what we can do uh, in all honesty over the last 12 months they've got much better because Good. they used to be really annoying ads and now they're quite often um, ads for uh, very interesting high-end clothes sales. So well, that's, oh, that is likely due to the, the stellar efforts of our sales team well, here in um, London, so um, I'll pass it on. Um, what did you learn from the best boss you've ever had? You've talked a bit about some mentors, but what about a boss? So yeah, no, no. This is no. I've had plenty. Uh, so this, I was thinking about this, and uh, this is a funny one. I'm trying to think how to phrase it in the right, uh, in a, in the diplomatic way. So I had a great boss who I was working for, who was the CEO of a uh, of a company who I was working for directly and helping him prepare for a couple of um, couple of meetings at one point. And there was some guy who he was going to connect with, and I said, "Oh, what about this? Some." David Smith, who you're going to go and meet in London, ta, ta, ta. he's like, no, no, that's a, that's a headhunter. Don't worry about that. And it was on his diary, right, for everybody to see. And he was six months in his job as CEO. And I said, whoa, okay, like you're going, you're going to meet a headhunter right, right in the door. Uh, and w what's the story? And he said, no, that's it's part of the game. Like that's that's what we do you know yeah. as you as you get up as you move up and as you're managing like managing your own career is your first and foremost job is your loyalty to yourself and if you you know if you're if you have a family or dependents and people you provide for that's the most important thing and it's also it it helps you i think it that is something that doesn't uh, people are very loyal to institutions um and I consider myself very loyal to AccuWeather, of course, and I and I love my job. Uh, but I think it's helpful for everyone to realize that well, you're never in a job forever. LinkedIn has their. Um, um, you were talking with um, uh, the head of LinkedIn UK here, Josh. I think, last year, Josh. Uh, they have that philosophy about like tours of duty. When you come to LinkedIn, you're ne nobody's very unlikely you'll join and then retire from the same company you know 30 or 40 years later we don't do that anymore uh, so you might be there or maybe you do maybe some well, of us do media comes really 
really weird. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of people here, I mean, including me, um, who uh, we've worked together for more than 20 years. And, and as you mm. say, it, it's most unusual and wow. has been extraordinarily successful for the business as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that you raise that as a... It, you know, for, for you that must be even more weird than it is kind of for us around here. But now people can work here for ten years and we still think of them as new. Yeah. It's weird. How, how, how long have you? I'm working? four and a half years in. I didn't think I'd be here that long. No, but, yeah. but a we've mm. got to keep you. But secondly, we've tried to create the culture where people want to stay. And mm. I wonder, in that in that changeable kind of that that approach to careers. So it's a way of considering your career, but the most important thing to consider perhaps is not necessarily what you get paid but what makes you happy sure yeah and that, that's the point in the that middle balance. isn't it it's yeah. the loyalty to yourself if it, yeah. i think it is yes, if you're not being rewarded for what you're doing at the place you're at then you're at the wrong place but if you are mediacom does do that quite well and very well and uh, then you you can be rewarded with bigger and better opportunities and i'm 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 no stranger to that, yeah. yeah. I, absolutely. I'm and not saying. That's good management, actually. Yes. Isn't it? Right. Oh, completely. And I'm, I'm not saying at all. I mean, employee and retention is a. Right. No, and, and I wouldn't be saying that everyone should be always having itchy feet and looking around. But, you but it is. You should know your market value. You should know how to tell your own story. And uh, you should know what else is going on in the market. I mean, and if you do want. If you're also ever going to be hiring, it's helpful to know kind of just how those dynamics are working. And when you find the right place that is maybe a home for you and a place that feels like family that uh, is that you want to stay, then um, that can be the right thing too. But for many people, I, I do like the, the LinkedIn, re they have a very realistic way of thinking about that for many uh, of their new hires who might only be there for a couple of years or maybe three, four or five. Mm -hmm. And when the time is right to move on, then yeah, let's do that happily. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I certainly think that what you say is true, which is the only person who really cares about your career is yourself, mm -hmm. and that even the best boss in the world doesn't care about your own career yep. as much as you do. Yeah. So definitely true. You've had a super interesting career, and it's been varied as well. Um, but looking back now, what would you do differently if you had the chance? Ooh. I might if anything yeah yeah I, I think um, th there were a couple of times uh, I think when I got too comfortable and might have stayed with something you know for uh, you know your 20s are precious you know yeah, yeah. and and then they're gone <laughs> and you never get them back uh, it's almost like uh, and, and looking back you know a, an extra year of your 20s now that might almost be more precious than an extra year of childhood or something right mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I basically did the same thing from almost all of my 20s, you know, working as a, as a reporter. And I think I might have learned more and developed more faster if I'd been ready to, if I'd accelerated my, my jump out of that. So that's the only thing. I think that that's one thing that I have thought about is not that I do that for too long. You know, should I have, uh, should I push myself to get uncomfortable sooner? It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. True. This is very true. Um, yeah. Having said that, what's next then? What's next? Um, well, I'm at still. I'm two years in at Acuvillar, and this is a at the feels like the start of a yeah. of a okay. fantastic journey. And we have um, I'm the the first man on the ground in Europe, um, and so we have well, it's that. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, I've been li obviously been living in Dublin for a long, long time, um, but there's tons of potential for us here. So I mean, we're, we're starting really just to scratch the surface. So, so no yeah. headhunter meetings this week? No headhunter <laughs> meetings this week, no. 
Right, Brian, we're on to the regular questions we ask uh, every guest. So, what is your favourite lyric or line from a poem? This, yes, this is my favourite. This is, and this is probably the hardest question. <laughs> I'd say most people kind of th- struggle with this one. I, yeah, for the last one of my favourite poems is it's a poem. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it's by I won't do the whole thing. It's a little long. Um, it's by uh, an Irish poet called Derek Mahan, mm-hmm. who's from Belfast, uh, and it, it's a nature poem called the Mayo Tao. It's a meditation on, you know, a wild landscape in the west of Ireland and spending time there, uh, engaging with wildlife and the sea and the stones and all this stuff. And he ends, uh, I'm supposed to say the line, right? Is yeah. that the, <laughs> that the yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so after he goes through and talks about the impact of, uh, he's an expert in frost crystals and the silence of crickets and all of this wonderful stuff. He says, look, I've been, I've been working for years on a four-line poem about the life of a leaf. I think it may come out right this winter. And it, first of all, it's wonderfully clever because that is the, fo- that is yeah. the four-line poem um, because it is four lines. Uh, and it's really about patience and persistence and being accepting of what's going on around you and still finding some resilience in yourself. I find it, I, I love it. And it's also about discovery um, in simple things like the life of a leaf and yeah. also about oneself where you take the time, you go out and when you, you never know what you're going to discover in, in that kind of meditative uh, mindset, especially in a natural environment. Lovely. My favorite question is regular, regular listeners, <laughs> Um, if you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I put in a magic circle to summon you, please? Uh, yeah, is this? It's and it's supposed to be just things that are. Just, I just, what what the they're, five they're things that define things you? They're not personal things that you know, like as in a letter someone wrote you. Or yeah, something. yeah, it's yeah. Things yeah. I can yeah. go and yeah. procure. Okay. To put in my magic circle. Yes. Um, to summon you. Mm, um. So. These these are it's kind of random. A backgammon set. Would be good. Wow, interesting. That would definitely. That That's would. That's a first. You're a big that, player. That would definitely. Uh, not as much now as I as I would like to, but I have been. I have played a lot in the yeah. past, uh, in those twenties, and um. So and gam- my, you're gambling on it as well. Uh, occasionally, no, no major stakes, yeah. but yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you use the doubling cube, you can get into trouble. I had one game that started this, and this was in. Uh, England actually that started for 50p and ended up for like 12 pounds or something like that. You're like, oh my god! But anyway, so minor stakes. Um, so uh, a backgammon set would definitely bring me to the table. Um, juggling clubs too. Wow. Yeah, just because. Yeah, again, a bit of fun. Um, Is that your party trick? It depends on the type of party. Uh, either that or maybe the Derek Mahan poem. Yeah, depending on the type of party. Um, a probably a, a I, I, sw- I live in Dublin near the sea and I swim in the sea most days Amazing. so a bo- some some sort of bowl of seawater or something like that some something evocative yeah. of the your the Twitter feed is sickeningly wholesome it's a picture of the sea every morning it every is morning. it is just about just yeah. about I have uh, I've been traveling a bit too much over the last couple of weeks so I have uh, I've been missing out on my um, on my swims Amazing. you wear a wetsuit no, oh, wow. no. I wear I wear wetsuit like gloves and socks. These little boots because my knuckles get too cold and that's sore. But yeah, that's it's great. And it's just that this is, these are short swims. It's very cold. But it's an endorphin rush that I guess stays exactly. All day. Yeah. yeah, and you kind of feel like if you've been swimming in six or seven degrees seawater, uh, then you um, 
you know anything else today is going to throw at you you've got <laughs> yeah, you've yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, dealt yeah, with yeah, it one yeah. challenge already um so that's i think a third thing uh what else um pint of guinness probably why not that that would that would summon me um i could it's a, it's a friday getting towards friday afternoon now so um and what else i did hold on i had item oh i know a spade uh, we're doing a lot of gardening at the moment and that just to do some planting i think and that's uh get some vegetables into the ground so a, a, a good a good spade and a pair of gloves to kind of get digging that's been the most unique objects we've had in a long time, yes. I think. Because we often get phones, gin. photo albums, gin, <laughs> wine, chocolate. Okay, cheese. okay. Yeah. Never but, backgammon. But, but no. With you, you, no match to be No honest. match for that. No wow. Match. No okay, match yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, That's, that could be another, for trivia. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Listeners. Yeah. Which book or DVD have you given away the most? And if you don't give them away, what's your favourite book? Yeah, well, the book that I've recommended the most, which I think everybody should read before the next US presidential elections is called Fantasyland. It's by an American journalist called Kurt Anderson and it's about, um, it's, it's amazing. It is, uh, it's nonfiction. Uh, it's a kind of a history of American thought uh, and American culture going way, way back, but with the obvious lead up to the Trump era. And, but it goes way back to the 1600s and says, how is this country created? What were the people who first got off the boat yeah. thinking? Who were they? Uh, because we've inherited something from them. Yeah. And in fact, we've inherited a lot from them. And they were bonkers. They were, yeah. Weird, yeah. They were really, like, yeah. they, were, they were basically... That's why they left, right? Yeah, they were religious fundamentalists and zealots who got exiled from all these others. They were too crazy for... England. They were too crazy for Holland, and then they event ended up in uh, some of the, some of them anyway. That's one particular journey, uh, and then he but he goes through decade by decade, uh, or kind of era by era uh, up to the present day. And some you know the UFO craze of the nineteen you know fifties and sixties, uh, how you know real right wing and also left wing tendencies tend to indulge in this. Uh, what do you call it, atomistic, like hyper-individualized way of thinking and about people's rights, and which really often to the detriment of society, which is, you know, the, the rights of everybody together. Uh, and we see a lot of that, you know, really coming to the fore now. And it's so, I, for me, I think that's the, that's the one I've been recommending the most, certainly over, I think it was published maybe a year and a half ago, after it was published after the election, but he started writing it before Trump was elected. Um, so it was kind of prescient in that way. Really um, yeah, it's I'll very good. So you, where did you grow up? You I grew up in Connecticut, just right. outside New York. Because yeah. your yeah. accent is wonderfully transatlantic. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, what can I say? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a transatlantic, you know, built-in error, I think, that because we speak the same language, we are the same. Mm. Britain and America and, and of course that's very far true. very far from the truth yeah, yeah. That sounds oh it's my question yeah. um, if you could change the industry we're going to do the power now mm. change the industry in one way what would it be what would you do uh, that's like the media industry has been changing changes all, all the time it's yeah. changing all the time um, the but, bit but that some in good ways some not in good ways yeah I, this is kind of a cliched answer but I it's only in the... No, this isn't true. This goes way back, I suppose. I was going to say, uh, am I finding more creative work that's inspiring now uh, 
than in the past. So I'm thinking, and then thinking back to like, oh, what about the Apple Macintosh ads, the 80s and the early Nike Just Do It campaigns and those sort of things are re were really, they certainly resonated with me when I was young. Uh, now though, we do see a real social awareness that is quite deep. And I hope that it does feel like we're doing it and the industry is doing that on the creative side for yes. the right reasons, yeah. right? It's yeah. not just because uh, they know that it helps to gain credibility it's the, and it, it looks like the right thing to do. But I think that, that, that there's an acceptance of the responsibility that advertising and media has uh, towards society yeah. and that we can help to shape things in the right way. And if you say, great, we as media organizations, we have certain values and this is what we believe as an institution and as individual employees and representatives. So what, how are we translating that into our work and helping to get that message out there if we believe in you know all types of equality and what, what and you know human rights or whatever um then that's something that we are seeing a lot more of right in a lot of the me too uh, reaction campaigns and the yeah. the gillette one out at the end of the year last year um so i this is kind of this is an incremental change because i think the yeah. ball is already moving yeah. in the right direction but if there were one thing i'd like to see change it would be the a really deep internalization of that and grasping that responsibility Finally, if we were to give you a billboard, where would you put Ooh. it and what would it say? Oh, I'm going to go back to, um, I, I did think about this because you let me know about this one. This is this is a tough one to come up with under pressure. There was another, um, and I didn't, uh, so there's another poet. I'll go back to poetry. Um, do you guys know Mary Oliver? No. No, okay. She's an American poet. She died uh, just a, maybe a month ago, very recently. Yeah. Uh, early 2019, um, maybe in January. Uh, and again, I'm, I love nature poetry, that she writes nature poetry. And she has, um, uh, she writes very inspirational and reaffirming stuff. And again, Journey of Discovery, not, not entirely dissimilar from the Derek Matten that I mentioned. And she has one, uh, a wonderful poem about uh, this, and this is, a, this is classic Carpe Diem stuff, but uh, she has one about the summer day. And the line that I would put on a billboard is something, I'm going to misquote it here uh, exactly, but it's something like, what were you going to do with your one wild, precious life? Something like that. Now, the one question you can't prepare for Ooh. is uh, the, these questions from the School of Life. It's uh, 100 questions, a toolkit for careers. So what I'm going to ask you to do oh boy. is pick one, read it out, and then answer it live on air. Uh, Thank you. Here we go. Okay. The card says, most career unhappiness is down to people not understanding who they really are. How true would this be in your case? I I think that's really true. I think that is a really pretty important and profound statement that people should think about. Most career unhappiness is down to people not understanding who they really are. If you put some effort in and to understand who you really are, even if you're in a job that isn't the perfect fit for you, you can find the bits that do tick boxes and get you excited and get you out of bed and, and make you happy. Um, and you know your job doesn't need to make you like totally elated and ecstatic every day of the week but um if it makes you unhappy on a regular basis that is a that's a problem um so yeah i think that's um and was it true of you in your i think i i have learned 
over yeah through different jobs like what are the things that professionally I enjoy most of it is around people and communications and ideas uh, and creativity and understanding how the world works when it comes to data and analytics and all that sort of thing so when I when I have as I've realized that through a couple of different roles then I have been happier in each progressive role because I've found the right things that matter to me so yeah Brilliant. That's a good question. That's one of the few consistencies, uh, thank you, in, um, in philosophy, right? Because it's this very stoic thing about knowing yourself. It's very Christian. It's very Western. Know thyself to thyself yeah. be true. It's, the Dalai Lama is always banging on about it. Like It's, it's a very clear <laughs> thing yes. that's a very consistent thread. It might thread. be the best Silver question thread. we've had out of that book as oh, well. Right? I'd, I'd say there are. I was, yeah, I was a little nervous looking at that box of yeah, questions. Intense, that's right. <laughs> Ryan, thank you very much for your time. It's been wonderful. Thank Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Sue.